0: impact investing. What is it? And how is the Opportunity Zones program ensuring more of it? Find out on today's episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast welcome to another exciting episode of the opportunity zones podcast the weekly show where we interview opportunity zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors from real estate developers to venture capitalists if it impacts opportunity zones or the opportunity funds industry we cover it here on the opportunity zones podcast hey everyone jimmy atkinson here with the opportunity zones podcast This is part two of my two-part conversation with Thomas Morgan. If you missed part one, it's the previous episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Thomas and I discussed 1031 exchanges and Opportunity Zones and mainly the key similarities and differences between the two programs. In part two, we'll discuss impact investing and what Thomas is doing a little bit differently with his compound Opportunity Fund. Sure. So, talk to me now about your opportunity zone fund that you're working on, the compound opportunity fund. What is its focus, and how much are you looking to raise?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm really excited you asked about it. And, you know, I just want to be clear: we're still in the early process of it. You know, with our lawyers and and accountants and whatnot, and we're waiting for the regs to come out and be finalized. And we're you know we're also trying to figure out exactly how we want to structure it because the investments we're looking at doing. I I call them more bespoke or curated uh, or niche investments. You know, the idea for Compound came about several years ago. You know, I I learned about impact investing where um, impact investing is you're investing to create positive social and or environmental change. Some people have referred to it as triple bottom line. So so you're trying to get all three bottom lines, financial return, social return, and or an environmental return. So you know, I got really interested in that. So you know, instead of just making money to to make money, you know, for the sake of it, which which is fine, you know, I I like making money. I you know, I wanted to feel good about what I'm doing, what I'm working on, and this this was a way. You know, it goes back to the question you asked me earlier about you know my journey. Yeah, I grew up in Flint. You know, one of the you know I was suburban kid, but I went to school in inner city uh, Flint. And, um, it goes back to the dichotomy of you know, where I live now, you know, Aspen or, you outside of Aspen, you know, with $50 billion houses where people, you know, flying in on private jets and there's, there's traffic jams. Uh, so it's, it's that dichotomy of, of wanting to make money, but also do good in the world. And so, you know, I, I, I was trying to say, okay, what, what could I do that would achieve that? And, and here we are. Okay, great. So that's great.
0: Thomas, can you. Tell me how your opportunity zone fund is is different than a lot of others that uh, may be on people's radars.
1: Yeah, so so I was talking about um, you know it's niche or bespoke where we're you know curating the properties and we're we're essentially trying to come up with investments that achieve a, a triple bottom line and and everything we're doing is real asset or real estate focused. So everything at the end of the day is secured by real estate and my, you know, my background is is income. Real estate. So every project we're looking at has to have some sort of income component, um, and you know, a lot of people have heard the term IRR, internal rate of return. What, what we've come up with is is what we're calling IRR, which is income impact and return. And you can swap the the income out and the impact out and depending on which you know what the investor's goals are. Um, you know, a lot of times when I when I talk about the social impact stuff. People glaze over if you weed with impact. So if you weed with income, you know people are like, oh, I you know I can get some some income out of it, but then also get some impact out of it and feel good about what I'm doing. And then the return part is okay. Where you know where does your money come back? Does it come back in the form of income, or does it come back in the form of sale or refinance? So everything we're doing, we're we're trying to calculate an IIR on it, and we're you know we're essentially custom curating the projects that our fund will invest in and some of the different ones uh, we're, we're, looking at, um, you know, straight down the middle ones would be, you know, you've talked about with some of your other guests are affordable housing, adaptive reuse, commercial redevelopments, like strip centers, uh, old industrial properties, you know, weed, green certified buildings, you know, and the good tenants, like I talked about earlier, but we're also looking at um, what are, you know, I would call it a preservation, category which you know adaptive reuse falls under that and we're building a database right now you you t- you talked about that with one of your guests last week about how to map you know the historic buildings in the opportunity zones and we're actually working on that right now where we're going after the the biggest most beautiful buildings in the opportunity zones and then putting together partnerships with our opportunity fund to figure out okay how would we adaptively reuse that building? How can we marry the, the historic tax credits with that together? Um, so that, good. when, when you're, when that database is ready, you're going to have to share it to, with me and I'll, I'll pass it along
0: to Rich, who was my guest last week, who uh, spoke about uh, twinning the historic tax credits with, with the Opportunity Zone program. I'm sure
1: yeah, all no. those would love to see it. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to uh, share that with you. And, you know, yeah. so, so sorry to interrupt, but you were, you were uh, continuing
0: to talk about what different types of impacts your your projects will have so please continue
1: yeah yeah no no that's great um you know so you know preservation one conservation is another uh for example you know we have a in the aspen valley here we have a really active land trust who's conserved and uh managed you know thousands and thousands of acres of wildlife and created trails and you know there's tons not, not tons but i mean hundreds of billionaires that live in this area and they you know contribute money to the land trust and the land trust, for example, uh, just bought a million dollar piece of property and they're going to you know, put it in open space and they're going to add trails and whatnot. But they had to do a big fundraising drive to raise a million dollars, buy the property, and then they have to manage it and maintain it and own it and whatnot. Uh, so what we're talking with them about, you know, in, in other land trusts around the country is essentially sale leaseback where our fund comes in, buys the property. And then the land trust, instead of having to coming up with a million dollars, we set a rate of return, whatever the project is. After you know, let's say it's five percent, let's say it's six percent, whatever. And then they sign a long-term lease with us. We're we're the landowner, and then they pay income. So instead of them having to raise a million dollars up front, they only have to raise, let's say, fifty grand a year to 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 lease that property, and it achieves the the same benefits, but. You know, us as investors get the the benefits of owning the property and, and deploying that capital, and they get the benefits of paying for it over time. Uh, so, you know, so that's a conservation example. And then we're also looking at doing some stuff with homeless shelters. Um, one of the things that people talk about with with homeless shelters is housing first, which has been a successful program around the country where if you, you know, contrary to popular belief, if you give homeless people housing and you make them figure out a way to pay for it, they, it, it ups their pride of ownership. And it gets rid of that uh, systemic homelessness because they start to, you know, they, they, people care about them and they have a place to live. They take pride of ownership. Uh, but there's a little, um, thing that, you know, in the, in the HUD code, um, it was actually passed as as one of the acts, a congressional act that, not many people take advantage of, but it's, it's called Title V of the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act. And essentially the, the federal government, any excess property they have, and they have tons of excess buildings and land around the country, they have to post that property on the federal register And a certain number of that those properties will qualify for the Title V Act. And any homeless organization can get that property for free and as long as they're operating it for some sort of homeless need. So what we're looking at doing is partnering with other, You know, all of our investments are gonna have probably a co-sponsor where someone who's an expert in these things we're talking about. You know, we're the real estate expert and we're, we're putting together the fund and the, the providing the capital, but we're gonna need a, a niche expert. So we would partner with a, a homeless shelter or homeless ho- housing provider. And essentially, you know, think about the rate of return you know, not, you know, not trying to take advantage of homeless people, but if you get a piece of property for free from the federal government through through a program that was created by Congress, you know, similar to uh, the the Opportunity Zone or the 1031 program, and you lease that out to homeless people at at a nominal rate, you know, not much money, your rate of return is, is almost infinite, and you're doing something really good that you know the homeless pro you know, population in L.A. right now is crazy, Seattle it's crazy. Uh, so that, you know, we're looking at providing some of those solutions. You know, another one is food deserts, you know, big, big problem around the country. And I've, I've kind of stumbled on those, you know, we're dollar general, big corporate tenants actually, you know, they're not a provider necessarily of, of fresh food, but they go into what are called food deserts where there's, there's a whack of fresh food, fresh produce. You know, it's, it's more like, you know, there's, there's can, maybe some canned food or convenience store type food, but the, you know, people there's a certain criteria where they, you know, people have to drive more than 20 minutes or something uh, to get fresh food. Like that we're accustomed, accustomed to getting at the grocery store. Uh, if they have to drive over that. Then it's considered a food desert and dollar general, you know, opens in these locations and they're starting to add fresh produce and they, uh, to their, you know, they have bananas and apples and, you know, other lettuce and other things. And they're becoming like little mini grocery stores, but we're working with some different retailers um, to, go into food deserts and we're going to try and marry, you know, adaptive reuse or historic buildings in the food deserts. Uh, and then, you know, like, like I said, everything we're trying to do is going to have some sort of income component. So most of it's going to be structured as sale lease back or build to suit development, where if a tenant you know, wants us to to build them a building, and that's where the opportunity zone play comes in, uh, we can build the building and you know, you obviously have to meet that substantial improvement requirement. Um, you know, so, so, you know, we're looking at combining all these different things, you know, depending on, you know, the opportunity zones, where they're located, you know, the tenants, uh, the capital that would come in and and want to, you know, get income from those tenants. And then the, you know, what are the social benefits of, uh, you know, s- preserving water, land, wildlife habitat, and or. You know, preserving historic buildings that are part of our history and culture, and so you know just trying to align all those those different things and that that's where the name compound comes from That's essentially what what compound means is to to take a bunch of different things and mash them all together and and see what you come up with.
0: Yeah, that's great. And what I love about your fund is that it has a very specific focus on positive social impact. I think a lot of funds out there today not not to disparage any of them. There are a lot that you know are focused on income and return first, and if there's any social benefit aspect, that's just the cherry on top. But but you really start and end with with that positive social impact. So that's I think that's great.
1: Yeah, and, and that's where I got sidetracked before was that that um, that dichotomy of you know, there's a lot of funds out there you know that that's their goal to make make money to defer taxes and that that's fine that's great you know i have clients wanting to do that you know i've done that myself it's uh that, that's great but it's that you know that dichotomy for me is came from flint live at aspen you know how how do you do how do you do both you know and how do you feel good about you know what you're doing for your kids um, you know and, and something we we're, we're you know looking at and how we're structuring this is permanent capital or evergreen capital and you know, i i like to use the the seventh generation wine or, you know, you know, how would this look to your kids' kids? And so the decisions we make today, you know, how, how is that going to affect the world and affect our kids' kids? And so the, the investments we're making are are going to take that, um, you know, into account and we don't have to have a three year or a five year or a seven year exit, uh, period. You know, we, we can exit when we want to, or need to, but the idea being is that the capital stays there to do you know, or to make positive change, uh, you yeah, systematically that's a great
0: perspective to take into consideration how how does how does it look for my kids how does it look for my kids kids i love that so i know your fund is in the initial stages of getting set up but do you have any shovel ready projects in the pipeline or or what what what's been the biggest challenge for your fund so far has it been raising capital or finding projects or or just getting getting everything off the ground i guess so to speak
1: yeah, you know, really just time, of course, you know, we're all busy, uh, with, you know, you got main businesses, new businesses, kids, life happens, you know, so just this the time to put it all together. Um, you know, being a part of the CCIM network, um, yeah, I, I did a post in one of the forums last week and I posted in another commercial real estate forum about, you know, looking for Opportunity Zone projects that have a social impact or environmental impact component in my voicemail was literally full jimmy for like a week and the emails just kept coming in from from projects you know not not every single project is something we would look at or do uh, but there's tons of projects obviously in opportunity zones the brokers are becoming aware of it you know so i don't don't think deal flow is the problem um you know from our perspective you know my perspective my real my background is real estate and so you know i'm you know the property component is is no problem you know, this is a you know the the new part of the business for me is the private equity or the the fundraising side of it. Uh, so you know we're talking to some different families and different investors about putting in a, a pretty big chunk of capital. But um, you know that I, I think it goes back to that initial quote is you know good deals find good money. So we're we're weeding with the deals and uh, you hoping to structure some of these deals, get them get them ready and in place, and see what kind of money shows up. Good.
0: That's good, what is the size of the raise that you're looking to make and, and how, how does it
1: relate to other Im- impact funds? well, Jimmy, I you know I'll be honest, I have big aspirations for this, and I think we're um, you know not just me, but there's several other people doing it uh, that are kind of at the weeding edge of the new impact investment space uh, impact investment has been around for fifteen years or even more, so, you know, there's been a lot of people doing it for a long time. Uh, but it's really starting to gain uh, traction, you know, with what's happening with the, the populism rise and uh, the Paris Accord and, you know, different, you know, climate change, different things around the, uh, you know, going on around the globe right now. Uh, but to give you an example, uh, you know, one impact fund. Founded by TPG, a big private equity group, you know, you, you probably heard of them. Being you know, out of Texas, um, mm-hmm. they started what's called the Rise Fund, and they got Bono. You know, I don't have Bono to headline it, but they, but Bono is an investor and uh, you know, kind of the face of the fund. And they, their initial fund was two billion dollars, and they they've closed that fund out, and they're now raising another three billion dollars because of extra investor demand. Uh, So that, you know, that's, I think the biggest impact fund to date and they're, you know, they're making business investments as well. Equity investments, not just real estate, you know, but that's, that'd be a $5 billion fund. Um, You know, in ours, you know, we're, we're kind of a hybrid, we're impact investment, but we're also essentially real estate private equity. And so, you know, 2 billion or, or 5 billion in the real estate private equity space is pretty small. You know, Blackstone just closed a $20 billion fund. Brickfield just closed a 15 billion dollar real estate fund. So, you know, with you know, try not to laugh, but our you know our, our ambition and this this isn't for the opportunity zone part. This is our impact fund secured by real assets. Uh we're looking over the next, you know, 5 to 7 years to be a 10 billion dollar fund and I think there's enough capital out there that, that's aligned with this kind of mission and what we're trying to do uh to easily raise that especially in the scope of some of those other raises. I was talking about, um, but you know, but the second part of the question is the the compound opportunity fund and that that's what's focused just on opportunity zones and right now we're gonna earmark two hundred and fifty million for that and that's you know let me know if you disagree or agree, but that's you know medium size or maybe a small size opportunity zone fund you know most of what I'm seeing is like five hundred million
0: yeah that's that's on par with a lot of others i've i've seen I've seen some that are fifty million. 100 million 500 million i know the the skybridge fund is is trying to raise 3 billion dollars that's the largest opportunity yeah. zone fund i've seen um so yeah but for, so you you're at 250 million dollar capital raise for the opportunity zone fund component of your of your impact fund but the 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 entire impact fund you intend to be 10 billion dollars with a b that's that's a sizable that's a sizable chunk of change there i i hope you raise it i i wish you luck
1: yeah, thanks. And, and obviously, it won't be one raise. You know, it's going to be a series oh, of true. raises. And you know, we're you know going back to the structure. We're waiting on those final regs to come out. But you know, some of the some of them might be structured as REITs. Some of them are going to be structured as LLCs. Uh, some is you know uh, limited partnerships. So you know, and and then we're also trying to figure out, okay, do we put all the conservation assets in in one you know asset bundle? You know, under their own separate you know operating companies, or you know, do you put all the preservation under one or, you know, know, do you put all the, you know, just the normal income assets under one, like how, you know, how do you divvy it up? So investors can invest in, in which part they want to invest in, or do they, you know, invest in the, you know, the upper echelon, you know, top level fund. Right. Right. That makes sense. You were speaking about
0: your focus on IIR income impact and return as opposed to IRR for your opportunity zone fund component of of this fund are are the opportunity zone investors going to be focused on income because i've i've heard from others that that they probably shouldn't be as focused on income as 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 most real estate investors are because this essentially is a is a capital gains tax incentive and and are, are, what are your thoughts on taking that income and reinvesting it within the fund instead of distributing it out to investors, or does that depend on on the structure?
1: Yeah, no, that it goes back to the REIT classification for us. If um, obviously, if we're a REIT, we have to distribute the income. Uh, but if we're set up as a partnership, pass through, uh, for in most cases to take advantage of the the opportunities on legislation, we are gonna gonna reinvest it. But we would like. Our investors, you know, you know, that's my background. Is people invest for income? You know, they're they're, they're secure, stable assets, uh, and you know, but that provide regular streams of income. So we want that to be a component. Uh, but back to your, you know, your point is, I think a lot of the initial opportunity zone money and developers is going to be, um, you know, they're, they're they're focused on the gentrification areas, uh, you know, close to the big cities, close to the affluent uh, census tracts you know, kind of the home run deals where income really isn't that, you know, they're not, that's not what they're after. They're, they're after the big, big capital gains where they're going to invest in the project, get the, the tax deferral. Um, you know, they have, you know, they can wait out the holding costs and, you know, wait out the development time period, you know, get up to stabilization and then exit the property after 10 years. So I, I think that's where most of the money's headed, you know, into that kind of development scheme. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's, there's a, there's a niche for that and there's a need for it. Uh, but we're, we're trying to go back to kind of the, the outlying areas or, you know, I call it thematic investing of like, okay, it might not be, you know, right downtown Denver, but it it's, um, you know, right downtown, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida or some, you know, whatever, you know, wherever you're looking, but there's other areas. I mean, there's opportunity zones in rural areas and that's where I think our conservation component comes in. Um, you know, with organic farming. Um, so you know, there's there's other you know other avenues to invest, and you know, going the, the income thing for us is that's just what we're you know that that's that's my uh, bread and butter. You know, that that's what we've been doing for a long time, and that's that's what our investors want, and so we we think that's important to provide.
0: Very good. That that all makes sense. Very good. Thanks for the answer there. Well, Thomas we're getting toward the end of our time here today, but I I wanted to ask you a couple of big picture questions um, before we, before we end things. I want to know throughout the course of your career, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made? If, if you don't mind sharing them and and what are the, or what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from, from some of those mistakes?
1: Yeah, I, I love the retroactive questions or you know, reflective questions um, for me is that, you know, a mistake I made early on was too much leverage or, you know, OPM other people's money. Um, and to, you know, not being conscious of what that means. So, you know, the, you know, everyone, a lot of people went through it during the recession. I, you know, I, I've made my mistakes. So, uh, and any real estate deal, not, you know, not over leveraging, you know, most of my, my good, my good clients who have been the most successful are 50% or less, uh, loan to value leverage, or a lot of them are cash. And the, you know my clients who buy stuff cash they they call me up every few months say thomas i have another you know 2 million i need to invest and that's because they've they just continually are getting cash flow they're not servicing debt um, you know so being careful not to leverage over leverage is one and number two is you know with people it's, like you said earlier it's a people business and people show you their true colors early on and so you know kind of reading those signs because if someone acts one way you know in a conversation or you know at a restaurant or you know, in an email early or in a contract negotiation, the the chances of them doing that again in a, you know, more serious situation are very high. So you're kind of kind of reading people for their true colors. But I, I would say those are the uh, two biggest mistakes or you know things I've learned over the years. And
0: maybe speak to your successes a little bit here with with this next question. What's been the most memorable investment that you've made over the course of your career? Are there any that really stand out?
1: Yeah, no, no, another great question. You know, makes me kind of, um, reflect back, um, last year I had one of my biggest years ever. I, I closed a, um, 15 property, your dollar general portfolio, 25 million in, I think we were in six different States and I, I sold a, uh, record setting cap rate, uh, Walgreens, $15 million Walgreens on the West coast. And so, you know, those two deals were big. Um, uh, but the, the thing is, you know, when you ask me the question, what comes to mind is a uh, a guy I helped right at the tail end of the recession on a little two hundred thousand dollar property. He was going through a divorce. He was behind on his loan payments. It was a little duplex. He just you know couldn't sell it, wanted out. And you know, I had a friend who you know and a client who wanted to buy it, and so we worked out a deal. You know, I took a reduced commission just to get the deal done because I you know kind of wanted to help him and you know just he was just in a bad spot, you know. Mm -hmm. And and at the end of the day, I was like, okay, not, you know, no big deal. Like everyone, everyone wins, you know, I, I made a little money. They, you know, he got out of the problem. My, my client got a good deal and we went to the closing together and, and we walked out and it was, you know, about this time of year, February, something like that. And, um, he came over and he goes, he goes, Thomas, he goes, I, I was, I just want to like, I want to thank you. You know, and he put his hand on my shoulder and, and he shook my hand and when he shook my hand, he, he gave me a cash tip, Jimmy, he, (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know how much it was. It was, you know. Nine hundred bucks or something like that, but he, I said, no, Larry, I'm not going to take that, you know. And, and he said, no, he said, I don't, I, I want you to know how much I appreciate this. And um, and that more than you know goes back to this whole you know com- compound thing we're talking about. It's it's about the money, but it's not about the money. It's you know it's about doing the right thing and helping people out and uh, you know using those those positive you know things for change. Uh, that's a neat story. I'm sure you made quite the impact on
0: on that person's life there um, well, we're getting toward the end here as I said before Thomas before we go, where can my listeners go to learn more about you and uh your firm and and your new opportunities zone fund the the compound opportunity fund
1: yeah no no Jimmy, I appreciate you having me on the the podcast I mean there's a lot to cover um I don't, you know we didn't really get too much into how we're working into Opportunity Zones. But if so, if someone even wants to follow up with me, um, you know, you can, I think Jimmy will put it in the show notes, but 1031navigator.com is our 1031 website and then compound.global. So that's actually a URL, compound.global. You can learn about both there, but I'd be happy to, you know, kind of figure out how we're, you know, explain how we're fitting in the, the OZ program into our impact investments. Great. Well, yeah, like you said, for my listeners out there who are interested
0: in learning more about Thomas and all of the resources that we discussed on the show today, you can find links to all of those resources on my show notes page for this episode. And you can find those show notes by heading over to opportunitydb.com slash podcast. You can check out all the resources I have on the Opportunity Zones database and all of the resources that Thomas and I referenced on the show today. That's opportunitydb.com slash podcast. Well, Thomas, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate your time and I hope to talk with you again soon.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, what you're doing is awesome. Keep up the good work. Thank you.
0: That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast.
1: And we'll be back soon with another episode.